please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. Today we're going to learn about one of God's prophets. And um, it might surprise you that I'm going to describe this prophet as a great prophet. His name is Jonah. Now, I know a lot of you in this room know who Jonah is. And you might be scratching your head thinking, did pastor just now call Jonah a great prophet? I did. You know why I called him a great prophet? Because the greatest prophet ever to live referred to him as a great prophet. The Lord Jesus Christ, when trying to demonstrate to the people of his time that he was a great prophet, said that he was greater than Jonah. Now, most of us probably are thinking, wait a minute. If I were Jesus, I think I would have said that I was greater than Isaiah, or I was greater than mm, Jeremiah, greater than Jonah. I mean, Jonah, he, he was that, that, that cranky, disobedient prophet. What made him so great? Well, today I hope that as we look at the book he wrote, the letter or the report that he wrote about himself, we'll see that he was great, not because of anything of his own self, but because in the end of the great God in whom he trusted, the one he turned to in the end. But I've had you turn not to the book of Jonah, but to the book of Second Kings. Well, I hope most of you remember that when we studied King Jeroboam II, that we learned about Jonah there. Do you all remember that? I hope so, because this is actually where Jonah is introduced to us and where Jonah shows up in the timeline. We know how to place him. Because it tells us that in the days of Jeroboam II, the Lord allowed him to regain major parts of the late nation of Israel, gave him the opportunity to build and fortify cities, and in fact, brought about a great period of prosperity in the nation of Israel. A period of prosperity that actually caused the children of Israel to become uh, self-conceited and um, actually became quite a wicked people. Um, they were wicked before, but it exasperated in their prosperity. Remember, Amos was a prophet that had to rebuke them. Now, Amos was a prophet down from Judah, and God used the prophet from Judah to come up and to rebuke the nation of Israel, but he actually used Jonah to deliver a message of prosperity. For it tells us, if we look here in 2 Kings chapter 14, in verse 25, it says, He, that's Jeroboam II of Israel, restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath into the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, 
which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was of Gath-hefer. So here we have this prophet Jonah, who is, if we were to zoom in onto our map, was from Gath-hefer, which there is in Galilee. Gath-hefer, he was a Galilean. And God used him to prophesy of this great prosperity. Here we have Jonah. Do you like delivering good news? I like delivering good news too. Everybody likes delivering good news, right? Do you want to deliver bad news? Hmm. Well, what's kind of interesting is that God has another errand for Jonah, the son of Amittai. Turn with me over to the book of Jonah. It tells us there in the book of Jonah, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God gave him a command. Let's hear it again. Can we hear that again? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Hmm. You've got a job, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Now, when you all hear the name Nineveh, what do you think of? Anybody have anything you think of when you think of Nineveh? Wicked city. Well, that's exactly what God said. For their wickedness has come up before me. Now, we all live a long time from when Jonah lived, don't we? And maybe we don't know really about Nineveh. And God sums it up here. He says, their wickedness is come up before me. They were a wicked people. Now, if you know the history of this time period, Assyria, which is the kingdom that Nineveh sits in, and Nineveh is one of the wealthy, prosperous cities in Assyria, later soon to become the capital of Assyria. And they're a despicably wicked people. They are a cruel people. They have come down into Israel already, and they've also hired mercenaries to come down into Israel, and they have slaughtered people. In some cases, for no good reason. They, they were known to come in, and they would just kill people and not even take the spoils. And, and not just the men and the soldiers. They would kill women and children, even pregnant women. They were a cruel people. They liked to come in and take people and relocate them all around the world. That was one of the things they were famous for. And if you know your history, just to give you a heads up, it's the nation of Assyria in just about 100 years from this time who will come down into Israel and will conquer Israel and carry them away captive entirely and do terrible things to their cities and to their people. They've already begun. They've already been doing these things. 
And God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. It's a great city. Later on, we find out that in order for you to get through this city, it would take you three days to walk through it. Three days to walk through the whole city. Now, that's a big city. That's a big city. And this great city is also greatly wicked. And God wants Jonah to go and cry against it. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going on in this guy's head. In fact, um, we're going to skip ahead a little bit further. Because if, if we skip ahead a little bit further, Jonah himself um, tells us what he was thinking. If, if you look at chapter 4, um, and you look at the middle of verse of verse 2. And I, and I don't want to tell you ahead of the story, but I want to tell you what's going on here. Jonah says later on that at this point when God told him to arise and go to Nineveh, that he knew that God was a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Well, you know why God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh? He wants Jonah to go to Nineveh to cry against it. Well, what's that mean? Well, we later find out what that message is. It's a message as a warning. A warning that in 40 days, God will judge Nineveh for their wickedness. Just 40 days! Now, you would think that you'd be excited about this message, right? Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be excited? He gets to go to the vicious, cruel, wicked enemy of Israel, and he gets to preach to them. You're going to be destroyed. Bad news for them, good news for Israel, right? Doesn't that sound like a fun job? But there's a problem. Because Jonah knows that God is, what did he say? Gracious. Merciful. Well, what would happen if Jonah goes and he cries against them, warning them of judgment, and they believe God? Why, if they believe God, God would forgive them. God would show them mercy. God may not destroy their city. And we can't have that, can we? Not a chance. Nineveh needs to be destroyed. And if God's planning to destroy them in 40 days and 40 nights, then just let it happen. They don't need to be warned. Just let them die. Is that what you're thinking? That's what he's thinking. So he's got this command from God. Arise! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me, God says. So Jonah, he arose. I don't know how much he packed. He got his suitcase. He got his sleeping bag. He got his money. And he's going to go to Nineveh, right? Oh, some of you are shaking your heads no. Do you, do you know the right... He's a prophet of God. Of course he's going to obey God. I mean, didn't I just tell you he's a great prophet? 
right? He's a great prophet. Great prophets don't disobey, do they? You're taking a long time to pack. Oh, my. You know, he, he, he seems to be packing. Nineveh's that way. You know which way Jonah goes? None of us that way. Well, he leaves from Gath Hefer and he goes down to Joppa. Joppa is a city, the furthest you can go, the furthest you can go before you hit the Mediterranean Sea. You see it there? The A? There's Joppa. And he's going to go to Tarshish. You see Nineveh? Nineveh's there at the B, but he goes down to A on his way to C. The opposite direction. In fact, we're not exactly sure where Tarshish is. Notice there's a little question mark there. But this is where many people believe it was, in Spain. Now, back, go back in time and imagine you're in Jonah's time. This is like going to the end of the world. I mean, this is going to the place that is the furthest anyone ever has gone. And this is the place where we send beautiful ships to go and trade for exotic goods. We load up our ships with ivory and silver, and gold, and peacocks, and monkeys in the day of Solomon. And we send these ships to trade for goods just as valuable in the furthest part of the world. And there are these ships that are beautiful ships. They're like, it's like going on a cruise. And Jonah goes down to Joppa, and he finds not a ship going to Cyprus, not a ship going down to Alexandria in Egypt, not a ship going on up to Sidon. Maybe that might be a route. Is that what you're doing, Jonah? Are you going to get a ship that goes on up to Sidon so you have a clearer path on over to Nineveh? Oh, no. He didn't get one of those ships. He gets a ship that's going to Tarshish, the furthest he can get away from Nineveh, because he is not going to Nineveh. He is not going to warn the Ninevites in case they believe God. And God shows them mercy. They don't deserve mercy. They deserve judgment. He doesn't want them to be spared. He wants them to die in judgment. In fact, he just kind of wishes they die like Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe he's thinking that's what God will do fire and brimstone falling from heaven and burning up that city. Good riddance. He's not going to warn them. Nope. He's going to go down to Tarshish. So he goes down to, Tar down, he's gonna, goes down to Joppa and finds a ship. I'm the ship captain. Costs money to go on a cruise liner to Tarshish. He can come onto my ship. 
So he comes into the ship going to Tarshish, paid this money. You can go sleep down there. He goes down into the sides of the ship. He's going to go on this cruise. I got my money. We're going to go to Tarshish on a great ship. Well, so as this journey begins, Jonah is on this boat. We're going to go to Tarshish. Now, that, that, that's a long journey from Israel all the way to Spain. So Jonah, he gets himself nice and nice and comfortable um, because he is going to go with them to Tarshish. Notice what it says there. From the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah, he's making his bed. He's um, making himself comfy. But I got a question for you, Jonah. It says here that you're going down to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you think the Lord's not in Tarshish? What do you guys think? Is God in Tarshish? So how is he going to get away? Do you think this great prophet knows that? I think he does. He knows. He knows that God's there too. But you know what? He chooses to ignore that fact. He chooses to ignore it. Why? Because he's too busy disobeying. You see, a lot of times when we disobey, we ignore plain, simple logic. We ignore truth. You know, the best way to obey is to believe. God has given us commands. God has given us instructions. And so often we disobey simply because we choose not to believe, not to believe God sees, not to believe God has said not to believe anything that we know is true about God. That's why we sing the song, Trust and Obey. That's believing what he has said, trusting him for the strength to obey. But so often we act like Jonah. Now, I wonder, sometimes when you have a guilty conscience, you have a hard time sleeping. But Jonah doesn't seem to have that problem. In fact, I wonder what kind of dreams he's having. Tarshish, that place far away. Maybe he's thinking of Nineveh. Nineveh, the city soon to be destroyed. Well, while he's on this ship, I need some helpers. Who wants to be my helpers? Who wants to be my helpers? Nobody wants to be my helpers? I'm, I'm, I'm a ship captain. I need some sailors. I need some mariners. Who wants to be my mariners? Nobody wants to be mariners? Okay, my guy, you come on up here and be my mariner. Uh, let's see. William, come be my mariner. You my, you my sea buddy. Oh, look, I don't have a hat for William. We need, he needs a hat, doesn't he? Where are the, where, where are the mariners? So we're taking care of this ship. We got the guy, the Hebrew, down there in the bottom. See him? He's sleeping. <laughs> Soundly. So we're going about our day. Nice, pleasant day here, isn't it? 
You know what happens? There's a storm. It tells us that the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. We're terrified, aren't we? We're afraid. The wind is casting us to and fro. We're, we're falling over and we're trying to stay, stay afloat in this storm as it just casts our ship this way and that way. The ship is going to break up. We've got to lighten the ship. But do we want to lighten the ship? Hey, we got this ship full of ivory. I mean, we're on our way to Tarshish. I mean, that's where we get treasures. Silver and, and gold and ivory. And yet, as the ship tosses to and fro, the ship is about to be broken up. And so you know what we do? You know what we do? We must be crazy, but it's better to live than to die. So we take, and we take all the goods and we throw them overboard. We throw the goods overboard. Oh, we're not going to throw this. Let's see. We throw the goods overboard. All that silver and gold, all that we throw it overboard into the sea to lighten the ship. That's good, that's good. Oh, but you know what? The winds keep blowing and the storm keeps brewing and it keeps going and going and going. We've lightened the ship, we've thrown all of our treasures overboard. but it hasn't done any good. It tells us that the mariners were afraid and they cried every man unto his God. We cried to our gods to spare us, to spare us. He's still sleeping. How can he sleep in this storm? What meanest thou? Oh, sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if so be that we perish not and he think upon us. Come, let us cast lots to see for whose cause this evil has come upon us. Well, you know what casting lots is, right? Casting lots is where they determine who gets the black stone among a bag of white stones. The lot fell upon Jonah. Look at him, he's still smug. Tell us, we pray thee. For whose cause this evil has come upon us? What is thine occupation? And from whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. The mariners, when they heard this, were exceedingly afraid. And we said to him, why 
Hast thou done this? Because you know, he not only told us who he was, he told us what he had done. He had told us that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. He should have known better than that. The presence of the Lord. You can't run away from God. You can't run anywhere away from God. You can't hide from God anywhere. And these mariners apparently understood that part. As they understood this, notice he said he's himself as a Hebrew. Notice that he said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea, and the sea is raging, and was tempestuous against them, and the dry land also. Why did you flee from the presence of the Lord? They're afraid. What shall we do unto thee? that the sea may be calm unto us. Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. He's crazy. How's that going to do any good to throw this man overboard? We're not gonna throw him overboard. We can't throw him overboard. Let's row, let's row, let's see if we could try to get back to land. And so you know what these mariners did? They did just that. They got in there, those, that ship, and they got the oars out, and they started rowing. And trying to bring it to shore as they were rowing. But they couldn't do anything. It was hopeless. The storm continued to rage. The winds blew. The storm was on. You know what they finally did? They cried out and they said, We beseech thee, Lord, we beseech thee. Let not this man's innocent blood be upon us. And they took him and they cast him forth into the sea. ceased from its raging instantly. You know why? Because the Lord, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land, needed Jonah thrown overboard. You see, there's something else interesting about this. I got a question for Jonah. Why didn't you tell them, let's turn the ship around, take me back to Joppa? I need to obey God. If you're such a great prophet, that seems to me what you would do, right? But no, he just says, throw me overboard. Now, what happens when you take a guy in the middle of a storm and you throw him overboard? This isn't rocking science. What happens to him? He dies. Jonah would rather die than obey God. These mariners are afraid. But nonetheless, they take him and they cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceases from its raging. And you know what it says in verse 16? about us it says then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows I got a question I wonder what happened to these mariners you ever thought about that 
Whatever happened to these mariners? We don't know. This is the last we hear of them. But I wonder what you guys thought, if we may presume for a moment, when perhaps within the year or a few years, you get the book of Jonah and you read about yourselves in it and you read about what Jonah went on to do. Think that will have an impact on these mariners? I do. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats. Well, what happened to poor Jonah down there in the sea? Well, it tells us, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. (laughs) And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Alive. And here he is. Let's imagine up here is the belly of this fish. He's here in this belly of this fish. How many of you want to be in the belly of a fish? I wouldn't want to be in the belly of a fish. You know, all kinds of things are in the belly of a fish that aren't very pleasant at all. I mean... You know, we got that seaweed, slimy seaweed all around. You know, it just gets stuck. <laughs> give me here, 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 give me here. I'm going to pay my, my actor. I'll give you $5 if you play along. <laughs> it's not worth $5? You're way too rich if it ain't worth $5. Hey, William, you want to try this one? You do. Look, I have a volunteer. She doesn't know what this is. How many of you would like Seaweed. To just swim around with seaweed. Look, I got some people who want to eat it. He even wanted to eat it. He thought I was going to give it to him dry and just put it on his head. Dried. No, he didn't know I was going to make it wet, did you? You've already got it all over you. You smell like seaweed already. I didn't tell him ahead about this. I didn't think of it until last night. He's in the belly of a fish. There's all kinds of dead fish around. There's all kinds of seaweed. You love the smell of seaweed, don't you, Nathan? How's that smell? Some people do love seaweed. It is good. This is edible, fully edible. See, my guy even wants to try it. Seaweed all around you. All this fishy stomach acids. You can smell it from there, can't you? All the sea, it stinks inside of a belly's fish, doesn't it? Smish, fishy smell. And not a pleasant place to be. Here Jonah is. And he begins to think about where he's at and why he's there. And do you know what Jonah does? 
he prays. Listen. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee and to thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Wow. Jonah has prayed and acknowledged his sin. He's spoken of thanksgiving. He's declared salvation is of the Lord. Well, you know what happens? Verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. With some seaweed too? Well now, it tells us that the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time, saying, And preach unto it, in, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So now he has again the command. Go to Nineveh. So, he does just that. He goes to Nineveh, that exceeding great city of three days' journey. And as he began to enter into the city a day's journey, he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, you think he said it like that? Say it again. Now, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know how I think he said it? Yet forty days and forty nights, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yes! Forty days and forty nights, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Maybe he didn't say it like that. I don't know how he said it. We know what he said. Something was wrong, though, with his attitude. You may say, wait a minute, didn't he just pray a wonderful prayer and surrender to God? He did. But just so you know, he's obeying. But he's having a hard time on the inside obeying. Well, how do we know? Because as he goes through this city, 
He continues to say, yeah, 40 days and 40 nights and Nineveh shall be overthrown, overthrown, overthrown. See, he didn't really want to share this message because he, 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 um, he didn't want the Ninevites to believe and trust in God because he knew God was gracious and merciful. Well, you know what it tells us in verse 5? So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came to the king of Nineveh upon his throne of this message of Jonah. Yet 40 days and 40 nights and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And this word came to the king himself. And he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe from him. And he covered himself with sackcloth. And you know what he did? He went and he sat in ashes. And the king, he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout all Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither beast, nor herd, nor man, nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? You hear? He's proclaimed throughout all Nineveh that they turn from their wicked ways, that they repent, that they turn to God. Stop their sinful wickedness and believe God. Remember, see what he says? If so be that he turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Verse 10. And God saw their works. It wasn't just their heart. He saw their actions. That they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But this thing exceedingly displeased Jonah. For look there in chapter 4. Jonah was exceedingly displeased. He'd brought this message of destruction. He brought the message of the total destruction of Nineveh. And now they believed God. They repented of their evil way. They turned from their evil ways. And God is showing them mercy. 
So you know what he does? He prays again. Listen to what he prays this time. I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Does he sound like a great prophet? Huh? You know, he's not the only prophet to wish to die. He just can't, he, he just can't bear to go back home to Gath-Heath or Galilee. Yeah. I went and warned the Ninevites, and that's why they turned from their evil ways, and that's why God spared them. Why, well, he might get lynched. Besides, he'd still like to see Nineveh destroyed. He'd still like to see this city destroyed. So he's finished warning them. He's seen that they believed God. He's seen that they've turned from their wicked way. So you know what? He's mad, and he's mad at God. And it's interesting. God is brilliant in how he interacts with us people. God asks questions. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? You know what's interesting? Sometimes when God asks us questions, we don't answer. So what's he do? He's doing something where he, he goes and he goes outside the city and he sits on the east side of the city, and there he makes himself a booth. He makes himself a booth, because you see, this is, this is Nineveh, and he's not in the city, so he makes himself a booth, and uh, he sits under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of Nineveh. Yeah, he ain't going to stay in the city, because he's still hoping that their fire and brimstone just burns them all up. So he goes out on the east side of the city and he builds himself a booth, pretty scrawny booth here, to shade himself from the sun till he might see what would become of the city. And you know what? The Lord God, he prepared a gourd. We're going to imagine this is a gourd. And it wasn't a small gourd. It was a gourd that was big enough to bring up leaves and shade them some more. Prepared a gourd, made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. If I were God, I would have said, that lousy prophet, he deserves to get a sunburning heat stroke. Isn't God merciful and gracious? Sees the pitiful shade he made for himself, and he gives him more shade. But he's going to use it as a lesson, because in that one night, he prepared this gourd to come up to shade Jonah, be shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. Oh, he liked the gourd. He was exceeding glad of the gourd. But you know what? The Lord had prepared a worm, a worm that when the morning rose the next day, it, it smote the gourd that it withered 
And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. There's the worm. That he fainted. And he wished himself to die. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said unto Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? I do well to be angry, even unto death. Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, the great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Oh, yes, indeed. God is merciful and gracious. And he asked Jonah some good questions. Jonah, why did you have pity on the gourd? You didn't work to make it lay grow. You didn't even plant it. It just came up in a night and died in a night. And, and yet he has pity for the gourd. And God says, should not I have pity for 120,000 Ninevites? And notice what he says there of the 120,000 Ninevites who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand also much cattle. You know what he's doing there? He's not even describing the kings and the great men. He's describing the children. How many of you can discern between your right hand and your left hand? You're all not in the number. This is a great city. Hundreds of thousands of people. God says, shall I not show mercy have pity upon them. These people who believed God. Jonah. Hmm. You see, he only answered one of God's questions. God said, Doest thou to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. But then God asked him that final question. Did Jonah answer it? He did. Do you know how he answered it? By writing this book. That's how he answered it. He answered this question by writing this book as a confession. And boy, is he honest about himself and about his God. You know, as we look back in history, not just in Israel's history, but even looking at secular history, an entire generation of Assyrians ceased in their war expansions. They were a peaceful nation. 
That's one reason why. Fascinating, Jonah. He was sent to prophesy to Israel that you will regain your coast, that you will be prosperous. And then he's the one who actually is sent to Nineveh to remove in some ways, bring to them the gospel, hope, so that they believe God and they stop oppressing Israel, actually allowing them to prosper even more. God had mercy. And Jonah, I believe, as he wrote, wrote this book, finally understood. I think his attitude adjustment came at the end when God used him to write this book. And that's why later, when Jesus came to people, he said that there is one greater than the prophet Jonah in your midst. And by inference, he's describing Jonah as being a great prophet. He wasn't perfect. In fact, the majority of what we know about him is not positive. But yet, in the end, he too believed God and recorded for us this history. What do we do with God's word? Do we run the other direction? Or do we trust, believe, and obey? Let's be like Jonah in the end, not throughout what's in the book. Let's trust God. And let us rejoice that he is indeed gracious, merciful, and full of loving kindness. To him be the glory. Great God, we thank you for recording for us and preserving for us this record. May we learn from it. May we know of your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness, and at the same time, may we know you, know you more and more and more. May you be glorified in our lives, and may we humbly walk with you in your presence always. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.